Good morning, Moore Tribe. We're so glad you could join us for our version of Church Online. We hope to bring a piece of our home and authentic atmosphere to wherever you are right now. We miss you all and pray blessings over you and your families. I want to remind you, we are continuing our negativity fast, so feel free to share your thoughts on our Facebook page as you read through your books. We will be posting more often on all our social media and would love for you to follow, watch, and comment to keep us all connected. Lastly, we want to ask you to please give online to support your church. We could not do any of this without you. We appreciate your support, your prayers, and the time you've taken to be with us right now. Well, good morning, church. It's so good to imagine seeing you today, and uh, I just want to ask you to please be seated and hold your applause to the end, and uh, while we're imagining, we can just imagine all kinds of things. Uh, I want to start with a couple of announcements, and that is that several of our groups in the church are still meeting online, and if you want to be part of a group or uh, you want to uh, get your group going, I ask you to contact Pastor Becky. Uh, She's... um, in the middle of the know on what's going on and whose who's groups are meeting and whose aren't. Her uh, email address will show up here on the screen, uh, and you can just contact her. Also, just want to tell you that um, we're not going to be able to meet for the Seder meal this year corporately, but what we are going to do is we're going to record it, and we're going to post it on Passover Wednesday, April 8th at 6 o'clock. Uh, so we can still celebrate Passover and the Seder together with our families Uh, Just check out our Facebook page for details and even for recipes that you can fix for your family. Well, before we get into the Word, let's pray together. So, God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this morning. And we thank you for this beautiful weather, God, that we've been experiencing this springtime. Uh, God, we thank you for the changing of the seasons and for for the warm sunshine. And Lord, right now, we just want to lift up all of the ones in our city and around every, all over the globe, God, that are sick. We just pray that your healing hand would be extended and that you would heal them, God, and bring them back quickly. We pray, God, for all the essential uh, workers in our area, Lord, that have to go to work every day. We pray protection over them, God, uh, especially for the healthcare workers that have put their life on the line, literally, God, for us to be safe. And so, God, we're praying a hedge of protection around our entire city, and we ask, God, that you would dispense angels, God, of protection to uh, keep these people safe, And we just thank you for that, God. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to start this morning by asking you a question. And the question I want to ask is, do you feel like a child of God? You may wonder what I mean by that, like, do you feel like a child of God? What would that feel like? And I would just say, well, do you feel safe? I think a child that has good parents and a a good home they would feel safe. They would feel an element of trust in their heart of, that their parents are going to be responsible and take care of them and protect them. I think it's similar when we feel like a child of God. We have a feeling of security inside of ourselves. I think another thing that um, would help us to feel like a child of God is that we would have an identity. We would know who we are because when you're in a good family and you have good parents, they instill in you at a very early age who you are and, and, and what it means to carry the name that you carry. Another thing I think that it would feel like to know if you're a child of God, it would feel like you know what you're here for, that you would have a purpose. 
And so the question is, do you feel like a child of God? When you think of God, do you think first of fear? Or does another emotion come up of love? I think if you really feel like a child of God, you're going to feel the emotion of love come up when you think about God. That's going to be first and foremost and not fear. There's been a lot of misunderstanding, I know, over the years that I've been a Christian, over 40 years, that it seems like it's been taught out there that God's so cryptic and God's so mysterious that he really doesn't want us to know if we're his child, that he's kind of waiting to the end to spring it on us, you know, on judgment day. I don't think that's true at all. I think the word's very clear. He wants us to know that we're his children. And I think it's very important in a time of trial if we feel like we're a child of God. 1 John 4.17 says this, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. As Jesus is, so are we in the world. That's a giant statement. Love has been perfected among us. What does that mean? It means that love has a job. It has a purpose. And that when God loves us, when God loves, it has a purpose. And when it's perfected or when it's completed, when it's accomplished what it's been sent to do, when God's love is really accomplishing what he wants it to do, he says it's going to do this. It's going to give us a boldness on the day of judgment. Why on the day of judgment? Because that's the deal. Is everyone wants to think about the day of judgment in such fearful terms. And it's been used to scare people into getting right with God. But God says that he loves us, and when his love is perfected, that even the day of judgment is going to bring no fear. Why? Because we know we're his children. He says we should know we're his children as much as Jesus knew he was his son. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. He loves me as he loves Jesus. Now, that's huge. If you look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and Tricia Gunn has a great explanation of these verses, and so we're going to use that. It says that when Jesus was being baptized, that a voice came from heaven. Of course, the voice from heaven was his father. And the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and him, and with him I am well pleased. That's the Father from heaven talking about Jesus, his son. And he says, first of all, this is my son. He's establishing his identity right off the bat. In whom I love. He's saying, I love this son of mine. He's mine, and I love him, and I'm well pleased. He is acceptable. Now, here's what's funny about that. Jesus was beginning his ministry. He had yet to preach his sermon. He had yet to do a miracle. He had yet to do anything. But on the front end, God says, it's not based upon what he's done. It's not based upon what he does. You see, sonship is not based upon what you do or don't do. It's just a fact. And he says, this is my son. I'm well pleased in him. I love him. And that's the way God feels about us. Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. It's important that we have this knowing in our heart about being God's child because it, it helps us to have a proper perspective. When we go through difficult times, and Jesus went through lots of difficult times after this baptism, after Jesus had heard these words of the Father, he still went through many trials in, in, when, while he was on earth. 
just like we go through many trials. But he had a proper perspective about being God's son. He, as he was going through those hard times, he never had any temptation to think that God was punishing him or God was abandoning him. Yet many times when we go through trial, especially like what we're going through, and it goes on and on and seems to sometimes get worse, there's a lot of thoughts maybe that want to creep into our mind that somehow God is judging us or he's punishing us or he's giving us what we deserve. And I just want to say that's not where we should go in our mind, especially as children of God. Jesus didn't go there. Jesus was ironclad. He knew. He knew that he was God's son. He knew that that never changed just because he was going through trouble. As we said last week, trouble's going to come. We're not exempt. Jesus himself even said, you're going to have trouble in the world, but that he had overcome the world. Even Peter wrote in his book, he said, don't be surprised when you have trials that come into your life. That's just part of life. And then like we looked at two weeks ago in James 1, it says, my brethren... Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not if you fall into trials, but when you fall into trials. We're going to fall into trials. It's just the way the world is. And he says there, it's various trials. That's a great word, various. In the Greek, it literally means different colors. I like to think about it as meaning different facets. It's like every trial is, is different, and it does something different in us and for us. You know, when this world, be, I mean, this uh, year began, 2020, we had a, a focus, and that 2020 focus was to get healthier. And we had seven different areas of focus, and they should come up on your screen there. But, you know, we looked at getting healthier financially and relationally and physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and nutritionally. And what's odd about this pandemic and this trial that we're going through, all seven of those areas are under attack. All seven of those areas were experiencing a trial. Financially, the world has taken a huge financial hit. And many people personally that we know and that we love have, have lost their hours or lost their jobs or uh, places have closed up. Relationally, it's been a hit. You know, we can't be with one another. We can't be with our friends like we want to be. And some, you know, when you're cooped up in the house with your family, and it, it puts a strain on relationships and on marriages. Physically, because of the threat of disease. Emotionally, because it takes a toll on us to go on and on in, in this type of trial. Mentally and spiritually are under attack. And even nutritionally. I mean, I don't know about you, but in my house, you know, we, we sit on the couch a lot. But, you know, we got a lot of time to, to spend together and alone. And, uh, you know, we sat on the couch last week and two different days. We finished off two bags of Fritos. So nutritionally, we're under attack. And so... Uh, it's just a time of great trial. It's a time of various colors of trial, various trials. We're all going through it, and it's testing our faith. He says, because you consider it all joy when you fall into these various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. So not only does love have a purpose, patience has a perfect purpose. Patience has a work. It has a job to do, and it's a perfect work. You know, we are patient 
as children of God because we know that this thing is going to end. And we need to be patient because we should know as children of God that God wastes no trial and that this thing has a purpose and that good will come from it. I'll say it this way. Any trial that we go through, any trial that we experience as children of God will make us stronger when it's over. Because faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised to be trained to grow. And it says it's testing our faith. And as our faith is tested, it gets stronger as we endure the trial. Patience has a work. So right now, we're learning to wait. And you learn to wait by waiting. So we're in the waiting room. And we're in the waiting room with God. But I can tell you this, we actually will be better as a result of this trial. Demetrius, a, a, a philosopher from long ago, he wrote this, nothing seems to me more unhappy than the man who has no experience of adversity. That seems so strange, sounds so strange, but I think it's so true. You know, to appreciate life and to find happiness in everyday things, we have to find our way through adversity. Without adversity, our lives can get boring very quickly. Without any adversity, uh, we can begin to take things for granted, you know, like toilet paper and like simple things that, you know, we have to have every day. We take them for granted. But when adversity comes, there's a new appreciation that comes up in our heart. And actually, that new appreciation brings a great deal of joy. Without adversity, many times we take people for granted. I know now that we can't be with our families and our friends and our, you know, as much as we want to be, that, man, being away makes the heart grow fonder. And we don't take people for granted near as much. In fact, when we come back together, I know the sense of appreciation is going to be huge. So this is going to have a perfect work. This patience, this sitting in the waiting room with God, this waiting this thing out, and waiting it out in faith is going to bring great benefit to us all. So he tells us in James 1 to consider it all joy in the middle of the various trials. When I read that, it just seems impossible to me because I think I had a misunderstanding of joy. It was almost like fake it till you make it type thing. And I don't, I don't believe in that, I, I, but it doesn't mean that at all. You know, considering it all joy, first of all, I want to say that joy is not just putting on a smile and pretending everything's okay. It's not uh, trivializing what we're going through. It's not denying that it is serious. It's not that at all. The word joy literally means it's, it's this calm delight that's in our heart. It's a peace that's deep inside our heart. Joy is not being silly-hearted in the least. Nehemiah 3.10 says this, that joy, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but joy actually is the strength for enduring trial. That joy is actually something not that is nice to have, you know, that it would be great if we could be happy in the midst of trial. He's saying that it's essential because it's your strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and it's a powerful fruit. And it comes from the Lord. And God wants to send it in these times of trial if we'll just 
open our hearts to what God wants to put inside of there. This joy, it's, it's not automatic, and like I said, it comes from the Lord. But I think that in these scriptures in James chapter 1, that the key to finding joy in the middle of a trial is found in the words, consider it. Now, in our English language, that doesn't sound like a very strong phrase at all, consider it. You know, it's kind of like take it under consideration, you know. Yeah, give it some thought. But that's not what the word in the Greek means at all. In fact, these two words, consider it, and some translations say count it, they're actually one Greek word, and you'll see it on your screen right there. It's a really unique word because it can be you know, translated accurately to mean consider it, but it actually literally means to lead or to command authority. That's what it means. So whenever we read consider it, it seems kind of a weak phrase, but in the Greek, it's very powerful, very strong. It actually has behind the words to take charge, to command it with authority, to command joy into every trial. In fact, in Matthew 2.6, that same word is translated ruler or governor. That's a strange word. It's a unique word. But he's saying, my brethren, be the ruler of your emotions and your thoughts in the time of trial. Command with authority that joy is going to be the primary emotion in the midst of a trial. Do not let yourself fall into the victim mentality. We are to have joy in the midst of all of these various trials. Because it is easy to fall into the victim mentality, but you're not. Because God has given each one of us as children of God, as children of God, we have the authority to rule our emotions and our thoughts. But we have to take charge of what we think. You know, it's a good thing to say, you know, whenever this thing drags on or whenever you feel like it's uh, really putting an imposition on you or your family, it's just to stand up and make a declaration that this trial is not going to make me a victim. It's not. And I have to admit, when this all started, you know, at the very beginning and we couldn't meet, um, when we first heard all this and we looked at what was happening in China and Italy, and I have a friend in China that I have kept up with over there, and they've been in quarantine for a, a number of weeks, you know, fear and panic kind of started trying to rise up inside of me, into my mind. It, it, you know, what would happen that if this thing was a prolonged quarantine? What would happen to the church? What would happen to our staff? And this fear and this panic wanted to get into my mind, get into my thoughts, even tempted to talk negatively or to lay out negative scenarios. You know, there's an old saying that says people are like tea bags. You don't know what's inside them until they're put in hot water. I kind of felt that way, and I feel like what was coming up or tempted, I was tempted to come up with was something I knew was not the Lord at all. Because I knew that something else was inside of me, and I think it was that joy, it was that calm delight that I could feel. It was almost like there was this optimism or this excitement that I knew that this was going to have uh, a tremendous positive impact. I know that what was inside of me that was so optimistic was the Spirit of God. I don't know if you ever think about this, but God's Spirit's never pessimist. He, he never is telling you the negative things. He's never laying out the scary scenarios or trying to give you the worst point of view. God is an optimist, always because he knows that every trial works to the good of those that love him. He's a total optimist. And that was what was inside of me, speaking peace, 
speaking joy. So I chose. I made a conscious decision to think what that inner voice was telling me to think. That is that the church will be better as a result of this trial. Not this church only, the church in general. I feel that this is going to have a great effect in a positive way to the church all over the world. I think it's going to have a great positive effect on this church. I think we will be better and stronger and even declare that we will be financially better off at the end of this than we were before we went into it. Why do I have so much hope? Because I know I'm a child of God. I know it in my heart of hearts. And I know exactly what that means because I know what his word says about being a child. Being a child of God puts us in a very special family. And I want to explain. Galatians chapter 4, 4 and 5 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. These are tremendous verses. You see, Jesus was very unique. It says in, in John that those that are born of the flesh are flesh. Those that are born of the Spirit are spirit. Well, Jesus was the only human being that had ever been born of the flesh and of the Spirit. His mother was Mary. She was of the flesh. His father was the Holy Spirit and was spirit. And so when Jesus was born, he was a blend of the spirit and the flesh. And now that we have been adopted into his family, we also are born of the flesh to our natural parents, and we are born in the spirit by the Holy Spirit of God and brought into his family. We are adopted into his family. Now, here's the thing about the words that are used in the Greek here, and I won't take the time to go into them. But the word son here is not a word that means just, you know, an adopted boy. Like, you, you know, if we adopt someone in this world, they have different parents, or maybe they don't know who the parents are at all, and we adopt that child into our family. They take our name, but they don't share our DNA. They don't share our, our, uh, our blood, our family blood. We just adopt them in, and we call them our son. That's not what God's adoption means. This word son means that we are of the very same essence of Jesus Christ. We're born of the spirit and we are born of the flesh. And we have the same DNA that Jesus has. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. That's big. That means that you share the exact same inheritance that Jesus shares. Yes, I know what it means to be a child of God. I know that it means that I am in a very, very special family, that I share the very DNA with the creator of the world. Why is this important? Because in 1 Timothy 5.8, it says this. And this is a charge that God gives us in Timothy about a time of trial. He says, those who don't care for their own relatives, especially those of their own household, they have denied the true faith such people are worse than unbelievers. Now, that's a, that's a tough charge that God gives to each of us about taking care of our own children and our own families, that we don't, we don't get to not take care of those that are in our own household, that it's a command by God and a very strong one. In fact, he says we're worse than unbelievers if we do that. Now, I'm just going to ask you a question. 
If God requires that of me, would God require less of himself? Well, of course not. God's saying here, take care of those that are in your own household because it's the right thing to do. And God turns around and says, because all of those that are my children, I take care of them because I do the right thing because they're members of my very own household. If we are children of God, we are in a very special family. We have very special privileges. I want to end with a story about a friend of mine. And he's a good friend of mine, and he's a public speaker. And when this whole thing started, we know what happened. All the public meetings had to be canceled. And so that's how he makes his living. And all of his meetings overnight just canceled one after another. And he fell into financial hardship pretty quickly because his income went to almost zero. But he's a child of God. He's walked with God for years. He's trusted God in his finances. And so he called me the very first day that he started losing all his gigs. And he asked me to pray with him. And we prayed such a prayer of faith, knowing that God is faithful to take care of his own. Well, just this week, they had run down pretty low. They were wondering how they were going to make their rent. And he gets a call from somebody he hadn't gone to church with in years. And this person called and said, man, y'all have really been on my heart. Do y'all have financial needs? And this friend of mine said, well, as a matter of fact, we do. And I'm kind of having trouble figuring out how to pay my rent. And his friend that had called him said, well, let me see what we can do. And he got off the phone. Well, before that night was over, the church that this young man that, that had called him went to, they hadn't seen each other in years. They didn't go to the same church anymore. He said that the pastor of that young man's church had been mowed $2,000 into his account, and it more than paid his rent. You see, because God cares for his children, I've known so many stories like this over the years. This is just one that happened just this last week. I've known people that have owed the IRS $10,000 and that they have had out of the blue people give them the money to pay that unbelievable debt. I've seen people with stage 4 cancer that had received treatment after treatment with no effect and then one day walk in and it's completely gone and the doctor had to declare it's a miracle. There's no other explanation. It's because God knows how to take care of his children. And I just want to say to you today that he says we're his children. We have the same standing as his son. Therefore, as we ministry, go into ministry time today, what I want to say to you, what I want to ask you is, are you a child of God? Do you have assurance in your heart? Do you feel like you're a child of God? And I hope you do. I hope everyone listening to me today feels that way. Because here's what you can do. You can stand up where you are, and you can listen from that voice. From that, There's a voice from heaven, and it's the Father himself speaking over you, his child. And he is saying, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And it gives us an identity that we can hang on to all the days of our life. You are the one that I love. We know that God loves us. It says in his word that the reason we can love him is that he's first loved 
us, then we can feel that love even on our worst day. And with him, with this child, God continues to say, I'm well pleased. And I don't care where you are, what your life is like, if you're God's child, if you've opened your heart and said yes to Jesus as your Savior, then you are his child. And when he speaks of you, he's well pleased. Now, you may not be well pleased with yourself. That's a whole different story. But it's not God who's not well pleased with you because he loves you. And while you were yet a sinner, he paid the ultimate price to have you as his child. So I just encourage you today, just say yes to God wherever you are. Yes to God. Yes to letting him in your heart. Yes to the fact that you're his child and that you really do trust him to make it through this, the protection and the provision. Say yes to him that you believe that this is going to work to make everything better in our world, in your world, in your family. And say yes to God that you believe him that for the protection and the provision that he wants to provide for you in this time. So thank you for joining us today. I pray that you have a great week and join in, in prayer with, with other people. Call people. Keep up with people. You guys connect. Um, and let's stay together during this difficult time. I love you and I hope to see you soon. God bless. Thank you for joining us this week. We pray your days are filled with peace and we hope to be reunited with you all very soon. Thank you.
his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace.
the goodness of Come fools for you, kingdoms to ruins for you. 
person listening would be encouraged and to know that they have a place in all of this we're the carriers of your hope the carriers of your peace we get to show that we have hope we get to show that we have trust in you God guide us by that let us live by that in this time and every day. 